We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Maybe it's the heat, or maybe it's the global inflationary environment, but Arsenal's war chest is swelling. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. It's summer. Things start to heat up. Things start to sweat. This isn't the Manscaped ad, I assure you. And sometimes that means they expand, they enlarge. And oh, by the way, we have this global inflationary environment. No one wants to hear about that, but it is true. And all of these things have combined to take that old, old wooden chest where Arsenal gets the money that they use to pay for players and have caused it to swell. I don't know if you know what inflation does. It Actually, if you have an old wooden chest full of doubloons, more doubloons appear in the chest. Like, it's really a fantastic thing. Um, I don't know why people are so down on it. I'm kidding. But let's not stay on that topic very long. Let's just say that the rumors, you know, there are times when rumors come out and you're just like, all oh, this is nonsense or it's leading us down the primrose path and you can just kind of snuff it out. The rumors right now feel pretty credible and none of them feel very cheap. And so we're going to get into the rumors. We're going to get into the overall spending and, and if that signals a change in tactic and maybe a change in tactic across the Premier League. Um, we're going to talk, uh, Fabio Vieira, obviously we have made a signing, Fabio Vieira. We talked about him a lot in the episode entitled Vieira, whoa, whoa. But Zach Lowy, Portuguese football expert, is here. He had a really tight timeline, so I hope we'll get him on again. But we had 20 good minutes with him. That'll be at the end of the podcast, hearing specifically about Fabio Vieira. So here with me now is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo. Feeling better? Uh, I'm at 95%. I would say it was at 90% the last time. So getting there. Yeah. You're like Aaron Ramsey. Like for the next four or five episodes, you'll be shit. But by the time you get your sea legs under you, then you're going to, you're really going to be good. You know, you got to play yourself into fitness. So Clive, the cool thing is uh, no, no problem, buddy. Um, we're going to spend 50 million on Lissandro Martinez. And 55 or 60 million on Gabriel Jesus, and 50 or 60 million on Rafinha, and 35 million or so on 
Tielemans, and we've already signed Vieira. And yeah, it's just War Chest City, baby. What the heck has happened? And let me ask you, I'll ask a question so that you can then talk about whatever you want. Let me at least get the question out there that I'm curious about so the listener knows at least what interests me, which is, have we seen and are we seeing a complete sea change in the way Arsenal approach spending in the market and building their squad, financially speaking? Yeah, I think they've recognized what they have to do to reestablish the name of the club. And and it started last year, didn't it? And some of that was painful, you know, seeing people get yeah, paid off. Yeah, seeing people get paid off from previous mistakes. We're lucky William paid himself off, right? So we're lucky in that regard. Yeah. And seeing those errors, and and we're still cleaning a house a little bit. We've still got a couple more to do, maybe well, there's a few lone players potentially not quite gone yet, and there's Pepe sitting in the corner of the room with his locker cleared out. That needs to be sorted out. And and we know that we need to rebuild the playing pool. The playing pool is heavily expensive wage-wise, but not very good from a squad value perspective. So they've pivoted. They pivoted last summer to young players. They already had a couple of good players in Gabriel Party and, um, and Tierney from the previous windows. And they've laid on top of that, and they've continued this. Well, the rumours seem to fit a continuation of bright young players, but maybe a, a couple a bit more established at a 24, 25 age range, which is exactly what we need, you know, because you can't always sell jam tomorrow, right? You need to have something today, particularly in the, up, in the top end of the pitch where you need to score goals. And if Tim was on his podcast, he'd be saying, you don't really start scoring goals till you're 23. So you don't need to be buying 20-year-olds to score goals. And that's what we survived on. We survived on yep. three 20, 21-year-olds well, to take us to the promised land. And we ran their legs off. And so I know you've had a previous debate, and I'm sure we'll get into it again because you never leave debates until you absolutely crush it. No, I've got a script. That... I, writ da- I writ down all, <laughs> wrote down all the things I should have said the first time, so you're yeah. really going to get it this time. Let me yeah, tell you. No, you, can't, you can't beat me. So I've been training in the oh. Discord. It's like the now, Rocky training sequence. I, I played music while I was messaging in Discord. It was amazing. I tell you now, before I start the podcast, I put my shin pads on. I'm ready for you, whatever you say regarding midfield. And so, and so, we need to rebuild. We need to rebuild our attack with a level of certainty. So, yeah, I'm really impressed. I don't care about the overall spend, and I'll tell you why. Because, well, Paul knows this, being a businessman more than I am, and is that we you can fight, you can do things with a transfer fee. You can stage it, you can stage it, you can stage it. It's the wage bill, the fiscal reconstruction of the wage bill is what's really, really key. That's your year-on-year money and your ability to pay versus your revenue. That's key, and we've done that, and we continue to do that. And so, yeah, I like what we're doing, and I know your numbers were a bit heavy. Obviously, I got to say that to save your Twitter mentions. They were a little bit heavy, Elliot, just to provoke debate, but I like where we're heading. Now, I want to be clear about something. My numbers are based on a currency that equates to exactly what the rumors are. I don't, I can't disclose what currency it is because it was told to me by an FX trader and it's extremely, extremely confidential. But whatever number you think I was off by, just transpose it into the currency I was using and that will give you the correct answer. Paul. Um, before we get into the debate on the specific players, do you want to just weigh in briefly on? Whether you you see a sea change happening here, I mean the, the the reality is like maybe one of the reasons my my squad building and transfer 
ideas sometimes are met with, let's just say, displeasure, derision, uh, na- nausea, uh, <laughs> are, are met with with hostility. You might say um, is that I grew up with Arsenal in an era, or at least really my my most my most memorable era really when it comes to squad building was one in one out you sell to buy net spend to zero baby you know or net spend to 50 million right we sell this guy for 45 we buy this guy for 38 well you know whatever the case may be and so i've sort of set my philosophy about what we need to be doing around you know that kind of approach because that kind of approach dominated our thinking for so long yeah paul do you think we've gone we've we've crossed a Rubicon here where we will now spend what is needed regardless of selling and that this is a long-term strategy or is, or is there something going on here? Maybe that's, that's a second order effect that we're not really thinking about. We have crossed the Rubicon or as Caesar said, alea yacta est. The die is cast. The die is cast. Yes. I think it'd be very interesting to have just real quick. Alea yacta. Um, yeah. Like a attacking midfielder can play in the left half space. What's what's the fee? I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, and we're going. They haven't asked us for fifty million, but we're going to give them fifty million because it's just because we, we we've got it and it's burning a hole in our pocket. <laughs> yeah, it's like you got a pocket full of fifties. Nobody can break them, so we're going to give them fifty million. That's the note we Fair. have. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. be interesting to get somebody like Swiss Ramble to. Uh, quantify when we stopped being running at break even season on season because like if you go back to the season we bought uh Aubameyang and Lacazette and and seasons since then um then you got the intersection of Usmanov uh being bought out and you have the thread of Josh Kroenke, maybe maybe it wasn't world shaking to say we've got a a uh, Europa League squad on a Champions League wage, and that focus on wages, and then you have Gunnar Blog last summer emphasizing that within Arsenal's thinking, we didn't mind paying fifty million for Ben White uh, if we got the player we wanted and we got it at a wage that fit within our structure because it was all about a wage reset. And we've been willing to pay higher fees, including, you know, White, Ramsdale. Uh, we've been pushing people off the books, off the old um, wage scale, and who didn't fit the new template and the new mindset. Um, and you have Edu talking about a young team growing together over three, four years. And I, I don't know how the numbers all work in that. And to your your points collectively, um, they bought a top four club, which is what became a top seven, top eight club, um, and they want a top four ish club back. They, like I don't think anybody can say you're a top four club unless you're City, Liverpool, maybe Chelsea up till this point. From here on forward, it's only may, maybe Liverpool for a few more years, City, and then the rest are clubs that challenge for top four or top three. Right, right. Um, and so they can't guarantee themselves a top four, but they want a true top four contending team because that's where the value in, in Arsenal is. Um, yeah. And, and 
you know, ESL or a UEFA competition for the Champions League evolving, they want to be in that frame. And it's not going to get easier. You got your Newcastle's coming, etc. So it's really a top seven yeah. going for top four. And the problem is, there is not, we are not going to return to a point where you just arrive as a top four side and you're there 20 years. Like yeah. that's done. You know, we spent 20 years just almost feeling it was our birthright to be in the top four, both because of economic might and because of the way we were run and, and the, the prestige of our, our club and its ability to attract talent. I think we're seeing a few things. First of all, I, I said this at the end of last season. You know, there was a lot of hand-wringing about, well, we've lost Champions League, so can we get the players we want to get? I think those days are kind of gone because of the wages the Premier League can pay, because of the growth of the game and the expansion of what it's become there are certain players at the very, very top who can say, I'm only going to go to a Champions League club, but realistically, they were only going to go to a Madrid, a Barca, a Juve, a Bayern, a City, a United. You know, we weren't in for them anyway. We can pay what we need to pay. And before I go off on my ramble, uh, Paul, would you like to add one quick thing? I, I feel that in your answer, there was something you missed. And I want to see if you get to it, because I'm keeping notes on whether you're you're having a good one here or not. Man, you, you you got that ESP thing going uh, and you're reading the chat. Look, I do think there's one additional thing here besides trying to get us to a position where top four contenders. That might have been the original cronky thinking here uh, in support. But Arteta clearly has, is building a squad and a level of exciting talent here with Edu that's a bit more than, ooh, let's see if we can get to top four. I mean, he's really fucking going for it. I think yeah. you, you can't look at the signings we're looking at and not say he meant it when he said you need to get 90 goals or or that that's his stretch goal in the next couple of seasons to start absolutely fucking firing the ball in the back of the net and going for it. He's a very, very yeah. ambitious guy. His ambition isn't to be the guy who got Arsenal back into the top four. He may not really, he may not be able to win the league with those guys there but he's going to fucking die trying. Clive? Yeah, I suppose I've got my head on now, dummy warm-ups. We have to think about... Um, <laughs> we we have to think um, about... 7 a.m. here, what's your excuse? <laughs> <laughs> it's the way I roll, right? So this, think, what's changing in the game? Just think it through. Come on, lads. I'm going to bring you, I'm going to bring you into the room now, right? No idea. No idea. What's, I'm going to drink some coffee. You tell me. <laughs> what's changing in the game? Our competitive Five landscape subs. is changing. No, that wasn't it. Right? Damn. That wasn't it. Well, that's another podcast. I'm ready. I'm ready for that, right? <laughs> so we've got Spurs sitting there, shiny ground. Revenue's about to kick in. They already had better revenue than us without even naming their stadium, right? They've been given £150 million. They're coming. Whether we like them or not, they're coming. Newcastle, they're around the corner. They can spend up to £400 million and still don't break FFP. That number maybe a little bit off it. I've read it could be up to £600 million. Obviously, they're not going to do that. They got Dan Ashworth in as, as their director of football. He's smart. He was at Brighton, so he's Brighton smart, right? So let's see what they're going to do. Chelsea have a new owner. They bought the club for four point two five billion. I, I often think we're underestimating the value of our football clubs. Four point two five billion. That is the, the the record sports transfer of anything in the world. That tells you that the current model by which we run the Premier League with Sky TV being the primary 
primary broadcaster, is not long for this world. We've had offline chats about this. There are big players out there sitting ready and waiting that stream this stuff. The Premier League could easily own their own TV deal, and then it's all bets are off. We are talking about mega money. These guys are not overpaying now. They're probably underpaying, given where the potential is. And so if you're a club now, like Arsenal, with Manchester United sitting there with rats running around their stadium, soon they'll work it out. Soon they'll redo Carrington. Soon they'll rebuild that. They'll stop giving 1.5 billion away in interest payments to the Glazers. Once they stop doing that and work out their ownership top down, they're going to be huge and a massive force. Think about Manchester United with 1.5 billion in their pocket extra, similar to what Chelsea had, right? So, and what they could achieve. How frustrating it must be to watch Man City do what they're doing when they're sitting there with with a decrepit infrastructure and no sort of project to sell. They are going to wake up. They are going to wake up, and so right now given the fact we're coming out of a Super League attempt, which we all know was a little bit of fishing, right? So, Trial balloon, yep. Yep, right now, you need to be positioning yourself. Position yourself for either a media explosion, position yourself versus your competitive landscape on the football side of things. So you need to do your work. When your talent's there, do your work. Don't wait. You can't wait a year. We can't have a, another Peter Cech summer. That, those days are done, right? If you have that, the world will end. If you lose three games at Arsenal, the world nearly ends, right? So, so we are now, to be fair. <laughs> we are now. If we make a wrong substitution, <laughs> we have a problem. We don't play the right left back. <laughs> well, we have just a, don't make a wrong substitution for fuck's sake. Yeah, we have a problem, <laughs> right? So, and we're all part of this, right? So let's not pretend. Don't sigh and smile and say, "Well, it's not me." Yes, it is you. You're all part of it. We all have the similar feelings on different things. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> and so, and so that's it. The world is changing, and we have to change with it. We have to get ahead of it. We really have to get ahead of it. The other leagues in Spain and in Germany and in Italy, they now have guaranteed revenues again because the crowds are going to be back in the stadiums. So they're going to flex their muscles again. So while we have an advantage in the market, we need to take it. right? So this is a really interesting time for football. And whatever we do, it might feel uncomfortable, but throw away your previous structures, throw away your previous thought processes, because it doesn't matter anymore. The world has changed. We're just coming out of a freeze period. We're going back into certainty of revenues. We're going back into much more commercial deals coming in because those companies now feel as though they can diversify rather than you know paying out payments to staff and keep them on board. They now need to rehire. They now need to explode their businesses. So we are in there, sitting there well positioned, and so we need to be positioned as a football club. We can't be sitting 8th and ninth and 10th anymore. That can't happen. And so we need to completely yeah. back the manager and allow him, whoever that manager is, by the way, it doesn't matter because he's the total right, pole yeah, of the program, mm-hmm. completely back the manager, make sure he upward manages and make sure the Conkeys invest to allow him to achieve what we need to achieve on the football pitch, which positions us for any change in the football world going forward. Yeah, I think that's well said. There's a couple of things that I, I'm curious about that are probably a pod for Giant Gunner and, and not for us, but like, I do sort of wonder what the economic model behind all this is. Because if you're saying to me, maybe Stan just really wants to win and he's ready to reach into his pocket and start spending to do that, my answer to you is I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think this is about competitive fire. That's not, and that's not a shot so, at so him. Anna, sorry, just, just, just yeah. I mean, again, this is going into yeah, your please. world a little bit, particularly, mm-hmm. particularly in the US. So I'm going to say, no, I could get a kick in, right? But um, 
I'm, you know, I'm watched the American football and the Rams are the champions, right? Sitting in the, in the best stadium in the Glad world. Brought it yeah. Up. Yeah. And so. is, isn't the NHL team in the Stanley Cup final? Is that happened or happening? Right. So, so here's the reason why this is different, right, Clive? Because I, I want to make sure to emphasize this. Mm-hmm. Set aside the stadium that Stan, Stan at his core is a real estate guy, right? Real estate is his, is his business. He built a multi-billion dollar stadium in LA to enhance the asset value, to sell retail space, to build a strip mall, which is how he made his billions, okay? It was not to p- build a, a mausoleum for, you know, a, a, for a, a winning football team, but here's the thing you have to realize about American sports outside of baseball, which critically Stan does not own. They make money. They don't lose money. There's a salary cap. And so whatever you think you're spending, it's capped. And a certain fixed percentage of the revenue goes to the owners and they make a profit. Or at a minimum in most of these leagues, if they're not making a profit, the losses they're making are minuscule most i mean baseball again set that aside and he doesn't own baseball so while it may look like oh he's spending so much to make the rams a winner if you set aside what he spent on his real estate project he's making money from the rams he's making money from the rams not losing money now i'm sure there are people that are going to come back to me and say that's not accurate over any span of time that you measure really you're going to make money owning a football team an nfl team aside from the uh, the stadium stuff, which is separate. So I, the only reason I bring that up is it's not to say that they're not trying to win. They are trying to win. And you can be more aggressive. You can push into the luxury tax in the NBA. There's all kinds of esoteric detail we don't have to get into. What I'm saying, though, is to build a winner in football, you can incur losses. And when I say losses, I don't mean like 5 million pounds, 10 million pounds. I mean like 500 million pounds, a billion pounds of losses just on player purchases. The other thing to bear in mind in the NFL, and this is really important, And this drives me nuts in a way. There are no transfer fees in American sport. The money you spend is purely wages. In football, obviously, we have wages and fees. Now, I regard those fees as essentially wage theft from the employees, right? Wage theft from the players. Because it's just clubs giving each other, owners giving each other money, essentially. Clubs giving each other money for the right to take a player who they then pay probably less. Right, Because if the player, we all know this, if a player goes on a Bozeman, what does he get? He gets a bigger wage packet because there was no fee involved. You don't have that in American sports. So you can look at the bottom line and say, I acquired this player and here's my cost of ownership and it's going to the wages I pay the player. And so that is a different dynamic. Clive, I'll let you weigh back in on this, but this is a rabbit hole. I don't want to go too far down because I yeah, think I'll be the seconds, rumors please. themselves are, are certainly more more yeah. interesting to, and, to and, and, aside and, from the three of us. Yeah. And it's speculation and we're speculating and and all I will say is, last time I looked, these guys don't like giving money away for free for too long. No. Right? So they speculate medium and long term. They're speculating medium and long term. It's back to what I spoke to. The the TV deal by which the Premier League is run is starting to look a little bit tired. And it's starting to look a bit expensive for the individual consumer. And there are many consumers that do not buy it. Right? So particularly in England. So... There's so much room for growth, and that's where the money will be returned, in my opinion, in some form or another, right? So you, to get that, to make sure you're at the top table, no matter what change you need to make or what's going to happen around you, back to what I said earlier, you've got to be positioned, you've got to have a team that warrants you to be at the top table, and that's what we're doing. Yeah, And I think, and I think right. Chelsea that's is you, a That's how you protect market. your asset. Right. Yep. Yep. As to Clive's point, we spend they spend four point two now. Some of that was for stadium and squad commitments, etc. 
but it's clear their estimates are way beyond Spotify offering the Cronkies two billion, or they might push it towards three. Right? There's, apart from the fact, I don't think the Cronkies would have sold in almost any circumstances unless it got totally ridiculous because they have plans. Um, two to three billion is not what the owners of Premier League clubs near the top of the table think their clubs are worth they think they're no. looking at five six seven i don't know what the number we know is. What it is yeah Paul? The, the number of billionaires in the world is growing yep. we could have a separate podcast about that phenomenon and the reality is that as there are more billionaires and wealth explodes in that class of individual these luxury goods like sports clubs there's not a lot of them and there's going to be more people that want to own one uh, right? I think, it's a, it's a I, I, very, yeah. very scarce, scarce commodity. Yeah. And the number of people capable of buying it is growing. That's just going to drive the price up. I'll just say this real quick. The only reason I, I referenced Giant Gooner in particular is the thing that was interesting to me is two seasons ago or so, two summers ago, when interest rates were zero, right? And there were ways that you could ac- accumulate capital that you spent on investment in the club at nearly no cost of capital. That was interesting, but capital markets have have completely changed. Interest rates are going up, and there's some contamination maybe in Stan's business because some of these strip malls are in trouble because of the pandemic. Walmart is down. Like I did wonder if there could be contamination of those factors into the way these, especially American um, billionaires, were going to spend on their teams because the way they get capital – the way they finance these deals is changing. But look, it's so complex. They could feel that a 300 million pound loss on Arsenal is a really nice tax write-off against their tax bill for their other business. I have no idea. So I do want to move on to rumors. I I, I know, Paul, you have a last point to make. Can we make it quick? Because yeah. I, I really do want to touch on the specifics. I think more billionaires is a factor. But on the other side of the equation, business models are evolving rapidly. Like the move towards Amazon.com is a from... Uh, smaller mom and pop stores, etc. Like mo- the way business is done is changing massively, so that more and more eyeballs are becoming more and more uh, a, a part of certain companies' needs to get out there. You got various other forces, sports washing, blah blah blah. But legitimately, business models are changing, and the, yes. there's a capacity to deliver a product totally different. Like you, you've talked about the the the. Uh, the camera, the work, the the visibility of the pitch, I forget the term you use, where you can look down and see the, the tactics and the layout of the pitch and see it from all sorts. Like there's so much they could deliver through a different form that we'll see in four, five, six, seven years. The, y- yes. Pe- people can pay so much. I would pay, you would pay, Clive would pay so much more money for something that gave us so much more in terms of how we could watch it and experience it. So, like, this is just yes, and this is the most just popular, how much crazy sport charges. in the world. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and, and again, by the way, that that scouting video that we tried to do the other day, our Y Scout minutes had been used up because uh, Paul had secretly been sneaking in there and using them up. We're back tomorrow with the full Lissandro Martinez and Rafinha scouting video. You know, as as a final word on this, yes, maybe there's a Super League down the line. Maybe there's new budgets. We'll find out. We'll see where this is all going. But clearly, clearly, something seems to be changing now. Clive, I'm going to ask you a question that you're not going to want to answer. I would ask you to please answer it because I think it's a launching point for a conversation here. I'm going to give you names. I want you to rank the order in which you want Arsenal to sign them if we can't get them all. Okay? Jesus, Rafinha, 
Tielemans, Lissandro Martinez. Okay? Yeah. Jesus, Tielemans, Rafinha, Lissandro Martinez. In order, what would you do from most important that we get to at least important is the wrong way to say it, but the, the one that you would put as the not most important. <laughs> best way yeah, so Jesus is the most important. Right? Agreed. So, and we all sort of getting comfortable with that. And if we don't get in, there's going to be a riot. <laughs> so uh, we need to get that one done. Um, Rafinha is what I think is my next one. Um, and the reason being, we are, what are we trying to achieve? We're trying to rebuild our attack. Right? That is, for me, mm-hmm. that's number one priority. Um, we spoke the other day earlier, I think, was it a Patreon pub or a main pub? I'm not too sure. But we spoke about this. We spoke about what we could do in the number eight position, how we could develop there. But we can't magic wingers and wide forwards and center forwards. We cannot, we cannot magic them. You know, we can't. And so I think that's an issue. I think, um, do we lose connection there for a second? Just for a second, I think we are still good to go. Yep, we're yep. we're still good to go. Yeah, fire away. Mm-hmm. And so, so for for me, Rafinha's two. Now, whether I go Tielemans or Martinez third, I'm going to go Tielemans. And the only reason being is that I haven't seen a full game of Martinez, although I like the idea of him very very much. Do you know? I like the idea of his versatility. I like what he does defensively, passing. I like his sprinting to the ball. I like his collision tenacity. Uh, and he can play in a number of positions. But it's it's like one of those hipster-type things. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I like that. I like yep. that. Well, you know what, mate? I didn't know him a week ago. So I can't say, oh, that's my number three, because I didn't know him. And I do like the idea of Tielemans. I like it very, very much. I think his potential is huge. I think he can run football matches. And I know that because I've seen him do it. I've seen him do it in the summer break. And so I should be true to myself and be honest and say, that's my next one. You know, although tactically I can see exactly why the fit for Martinez is really, really good. I don't like the price. It's creeping up. One of our Discord members said that Ajax does not want to lose these guys. They don't want to lose them. So they're going to charge a lot of money. That makes me pause. You know, that makes me pause a little bit. So that's my order, mate. Tielemann sneaks in there. It's a little bit of a hat tip to yourself. I know you like that player, but um, but it's that's what I would go as for. As much as the position of need, I, I think that's a good list. Obviously, the only difference you and I have there, which I'll come to after we talk to Paul, is that I have Tielemann's slash stroke a starting left eight ahead of Rafinha because of my my belief in the need for that and the level that can take us up as a team more than adding Rafinha. That, that's something we're going to continue on in a minute. But, yeah, uh, Paul, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we will. Paul, uh, can you give me your order? Yeah, Gabriel Jesus, because he's great and because he can play three positions across the front line. And therefore, if Eddie's hitting it and in form, that's an extra player, and Jesus can play in two other positions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think that gives us so much. And for a similar reason, I'm going to go with uh, Lissandro Martinez, who I'll be honest, I know fuck all about. So I'm having what I've watched a bit of video, and I've heard he the report- pass. That's for sure. Yeah, having heard the reporting on it, and again having listened to Gunner blog on the logic, like he cover he solves our tyranny problem. He gives us cover at left centre back, which. 
I don't hugely care about, but Arteta always does with a left centre back, uh, a left footed left centre back. He can play in midfield and cover the Chaka role. So that allows us, for example, that, that's a leverager in two, three different positions. And it gives us cover so that Vieira could actually play the left eight because you have the technical and defensive security behind him with uh, Lissandro, say, at left centre-back, tucking into midfield. I just think those two players leverage so many other players. I mean, I'd love Tielemans and Rafinha just right behind that. But those two players bias so much all around them that I'd go with those guys. I think they solve all sorts of problems that we had last season, and Gabriel Jesus sends a, solves a bunch of problems we're about to have yeah. in this crazy fucking uh, packed season that's coming up. Yeah, I, I said this on the, the Patreon thing that Clive and I did, but like when Liverpool won the league with 99 points, Sadio Mane, Roberto Firmino, and Mohamed Salah started or, or played between like 35 and 38 games. Firmino played 38 games. Salah and Mane played like 35, 36, something like that. Um, to win a title, you do need a little bit of injury luck. That's not to say you don't need any depth. But I do think that there is a, a belief that the way you win things is depth. And like, yeah, if you're Manchester City and you're spending a billion pounds on your squad and literally every single sub would be a starter at every other club. Okay, okay, that's great. And if you can do that, great. But I guess the way I look at it is, if, you know, Clive, you always make the point, a team's not just 11 players, and I agree. But only 11 of them can be on the pitch at any given point. So if you put 11 players on the pitch, and you've got a really good player sitting on the bench who's a left winger who's really good, but you've got a guy who holds you back who has to start because you haven't addressed that position. In my view, the hole that you have out there is a bigger problem that that you should have looked at, right? Because that guy who's on the bench, it's not that he has no value, he has massive value. But he can't have as much value as the guy who could improve the hole that's sitting in your 11. So what I mean is, I regard the left side of our attack as something that can be improved. Now you could say it could be improved by putting Rafinha in it. My belief is it can be improved through more goals, more assists, more creativity, dynamism, and threat from the left eight position. Now you could say Fabio Vieira will give us that. Maybe he's ready to give us that. That's entirely possible. I regard improving that. I guess what I would say, a front five, Clive, of Martinelli, Jesus, Saka, Odegaard, Tielemans, is a more dynamic and threatening front five than a front five of Rafinha, Jesus, Saka, Odegaard, Shaka. Because that Shaka component, to me, is going to mean you have just that little bit less ability to unlock the left side of your attack. And by the way, I could be dead wrong. Some of that depends on how good you think Martinelli is. Obviously, I think very good and Smithrow. Versus how good you think Rafinha is, who is one of the elite ball progressors, dribblers, attackers of the box in the Premier League. So do you want to dive into that a little bit for us? Because I think that debate is one that both on Twitter and in the Discord and in places like people have not seen it my way, which is a shock, uh, hard to believe. But I'm I'm curious if you can articulate that a little more from our debate. Yeah, so... It's not. It's almost like you know we're all we're all <laughs> we're all parents, right? And when mm. or, and when your partner's going through that, the labour, and she says and she says never again, never again, never again, and then <laughs> and then you, and then you have another child, right? So because she forgets, I literally did that. Yeah, he forgets, mm-hmm. right? Well, I don't forget how I felt when we played Newcastle and when we played Spurs. 
how we looked, how we netly looked offensively, how we couldn't mm. get the ball to our force, how they couldn't hold it, what Palace did to us in forward areas. I don't forget. I don't forget. I look at it and I remember. I look at the fact we had very little forward threat and people are pushing up on us and not even marking certain people. I don't forget. Yeah. If you don't have forward threat, you are not a football team. You're a team waiting to implode. And that is exactly what happened to us. When our young 20-year-old forwards, who we overplayed, ran out of puff. Right? So we have to have a situation in this world where we have a team that we can rotate people and we can add freshness to people. Let's not dismiss freshness. Stop writing first 11s. Look at the team as five plus five, what we do behind the ball and what we do ahead of the ball. And we are going away from, it looks as though we're going away from having the fullback in the front five to having number eights in the front five. And that is pure Man City model, right? Fullback, number eights in the front five, underpinned by inverted fullbacks who are versatile, who are ball progressors. We are all speculating here based on rumours, by the way. It could all change when a new rumour comes tomorrow. But this is where we course, are today. Yeah. And so this is the fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is the fun. This is the juice. This is everything that I look Dreaming forward to. How it could go, yeah. right? this, is, this is everything I look forward to. And so knowing this, knowing where the game is going, knowing how with the five sub rules, how you need to have a level of defensive shape and different defensive system to end the game potentially depends on the game state. Knowing what we have to do offensively with the five-sub rule, knowing that four-subs are going to get on most games, what we can do in the forward area is that two fours going to get on every game, which means you need five minimum. You probably need six for three, right? What we have right now, we have a, an, a Smith Rowe who we are debating what his shirt number is. We have Martinelli, who some people are debating what his shirt number is. Is he a big enough goal threat? Does he shoot enough compared to the year ago? We have Saka with a rucksack on his back carrying the whole club. Right, that can't continue until we break his legs. We've got Eddie Nketiah, who is a a promising player, and many people have doubts. But I've you know I've come around to it, and my hands have been held up. I think within the group, he fits very very nicely to the principle by which we play. So we need to add a couple of twenty five year olds in there. We can't do this again. Do you remember how you felt when Spurs are laughing at us at that stage? And we can't we can't do this again. We have to prioritize forward areas. When you have goal threat, everything changes. People move away. They step away. You gain control. When you've got talent that can hold it, keep it, attract people, deal with overloads, deal with two fullbacks, and still get the ball out of there and get it back again in a different area. When you have a forward like Jay Zuzza can, can work in inches in the box, get his shot off like he did in the Chelsea away game for Man City last year. When you have that ability, when you have Saka penetrating from the side, and when he gets his 60 minutes... Martinelli comes on and says, I'm going to have you now. Do we, do we want to win or what? That's, that's what I say. And yes, we have an issue at, at number eight, and we have had her for a number of years. But we've also got players we could develop in there. We've got Odegaard who could develop backwards. We've got Smith Rowe who could develop backwards. We've got Saka who could develop backwards. We've got Sambi Laconga that could develop forwards. And so we can in-house that. We can develop that. But we can't magic up a Rafinha. We can't magic up uh, Jesus. We can't magic up goal threat. We have to go to the market for it. And that's why sure. it's my priority. And I, I guess, you know, you mentioned City, right? And City's got eights in the front five. And, mm -hmm. and like, I do think we're trying to be kind of more City than anything else, at least in approach. If you look at Granite Shaka's numbers in terms of XA, XG, that kind of stuff, 
It most closely aligns in City's squad to Ruben Diaz. Okay? If you look at Tielemans, you know who's it most closely aligns to? Bernardo Silva. Yeah. I don't think that's an accident. And, and by the way, that's not Shaq. He's a six just playing you, eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just before you yeah. go on, as we do develop, when you see that Martinez come in and see where he stands, see where his passes come from, mm-hmm. trust me, in 20 minutes, if we sign him, the next discussion we're going to be having is what what size suitcase is Shaka taking to Germany? Right. There. So right. Let, yeah. let let this play out. I always have of this course. saying. Yeah. I have this saying. You can't look at a game from one player's eyes. And I know he's got things that are not right. But I tell you what, I know that we got three guys that we spent 175 million quid on. Two are gone, and one's about to go, and that needs to be fixed. That yes. that, that demonstrates what we we do. Goals, mate. It needs to be fixed. Just so no one hears the wrong thing here. I think Shaq has had his two best seasons at Arsenal the last two seasons. I, people know I've never been hugely high on the player, and I think that there are weaknesses in his game that have held us back. I think his two best seasons have been the last two. And I think the work he did trying to play left eight was really impressive. He flexed some muscles I didn't know he had. But he's still a six trying to play eight. And that's why when I say XA and I say XG, you know what reminds me a little of Paul's Awobi? Alex Awobi was a lovely, lovely player for us. But he was a forward who scored no goals and provided no assists. And when he left, Saka came in and we started to have goals and assists, which, oh, guess what? Your forwards kind of have to do that. Um, and you could say, well, with Awobi, we had Ozil and we had Alexis and, you know, he was more of a facilitator. Anyway, it's the same kind of thing with Shaka, which is I can think he's done well and believe that for our left side of our attack, I mean, just look at Odegaard. Look at what he does for Saka. Right. Look at what he does for the way we attack from the right half space. If we have something comparable, or at least that has some of those qualities in the left half space, I think we become a much more dangerous team. I think Martinelli and Smith Rowe look a lot more dangerous. I think Saka can start to benefit from getting you attack the weak side sometimes, right? Instead of having to always be ball dominant, because often we'll attack through the right and it's the guy on the left arriving. What if we could flip that a little bit? So I think there's a lot of dynamics here that change. And again, Rafinha looks like a real and some of this is how you rate him, right? Because if you think Rafinha is going to go to the very top of the game, you have to go get him. You have to go get him. When you have an attacker who's going to the very top of the game, that can change your team more than anything else. But for me right now, with the way I rate our young attacking talent and presuming we get Jesus, I just have that left eight as slightly more helpful to unlocking our full potential than adding another winger. Do I want both? You're darn tootin' I want both. But it, 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 I framed this as a choice. And I like Lissandro Martinez too, by the way. I'd take them all. If the war chest has swollen, let's get swolled and let's go get them all. Paul, thoughts? Yeah, I think we're, I guess we're all trying to solve that area from different angles. Uh, Clive made a very compelling case, um, at, at which stage I, I nearly turned to your honor and said, we fold our case. But I do still think there's mileage in Lissandro Martinez stepping into that. It, it, he's almost, I mean, he's basically what we... Uh, project Zinchenko as, right? He can do almost everything, but he can also add some left center back there. Uh, again, my knowledge of him is pretty light, but he does get potentially Vieira on the pitch in that number eight spot far more than he would have been um, in a season in which everything else stays the same. Kieran Tierney's bombing up the wing and trying to get back down again. Uh, Chaka's covering that side. I mean, Lissandro Martinez... Uh, based on my understanding, uh, or at least the document of understanding on Lissandro Martinez, 
allows Vieira to play that uh, left side attacking eight so that you don't quite need as much Tielemans. And Vieira's already here, so he, he buys us a lot, I think. Um, and that's we're going to hear about him from Zach Lowy. And I, I oh, asked him that question, Paul, essentially, you know, yeah. can, can he step in and play Premier League football from the start? Cause obviously if that's the case, that, that changes my nonsense. And, and I would like to revise my nonsense if yeah. that's the case. And, and so that's my two reasons for do- going with those two guys. The, Martinez is a multiplier in two, three positions. Uh, the one thing I'll say on Chaka, I was watching some, a couple of games from last season. he, he was really getting in those positions in the box, uh, finding himself there, I, I guess. Um, and he does have remarkable resilience. I don't think he's going to get any penalty box presence anytime soon. But he was getting there. And, uh, you know, rumors of his demise and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it's getting harder and harder. Everybody's going in and taking a bit of what his his ability to do other things that aren't his strength, strength are. But I think... Uh, a combination of Martinez and Vieira uh, would do a hell of a job on that side of the pitch and give Tierney all sorts of trouble too. Um, it's going to be a re- it's going to be lit in training if these guys show up. And in a World oh, Cup yeah. year, they're going to be like I can imagine sparks flying as those tr- guys try and get on the pitch and get their starts next season. If we get most of these guys, uh, uh, like Rafinha as an attacker would be superb, and I totally buy what Clive said, especially in this upcoming season about we can't do that again to the young guys. Yeah. I think Jesus gets yeah. us a lot, uh, but but we have it, it opens up the door in some ways to Enketia to be another player and a force in there if he has a good starting season. But yeah, I mean, Rafinha isn't far behind in third choice for what we need, I think. I think here's the other problem. You can't commit to some young players who you think are potentially stars and then hedge. You don't get to hedge. If you sign Eddie Nketiah to 100 plus thousand a week, you're saying, I believe in Eddie Nketiah at the Premier League level. He can be our number two striker. Now, whether I agree with that or not, that's open for debate. But if you sign him to be that, you have to trust him to be that. If you believe Martinelli and Smithrow are potentially stars, you can't hedge. You can't spend 50 million on a guy to play ahead of them or to be backup for Saka. So I think that there is a tension there. And I will say this. When you build a team around 20, 21, 22, 23-year-olds, organic incremental improvement from season to season is part of the plan. Shaq is going to be 30 in September. And so it may be the case that for his service, whether you think it's been great service, terrible service, or anywhere in between, it may be time to start lessening the dependence on him, especially in a position that's not a natural fit. And I don't think that's harsh. I think that's reality. Even if he was your favorite player, you have to start to think about how can we unwind some of our single point of failure dependence on this player, especially in a position that doesn't suit him exactly? So let me let me ask you this, Clive, because we do have five subs coming up this season. We'll do mm-hmm. a whole pod on how this changes stuff, but I want to touch on it just quickly. There's a presumption that what it means is you'll need a deeper squad. The irony is, I actually think it will also mean you get more games out of your starters. Because with five subs, if someone's in the red and you've got a lead, they only have to play 60 minutes because... You know, you can make more subs. If there's an injury sub, you're not suddenly saying, great, I only have two left. Yeah, it just There's a lot more flexibility in game to get players that extra 20 minutes of rest they need and so on and so forth. And so I think it's a, it's a knock-on effect. You need to have the strength and depth on your bench, but by using your bench more, you may preserve the ability for your starters to play 70 great minutes more often than you may have had when you only had three subs. Do you think that that's... 
that's a fair sort of knock-on effect is, yeah, you're going to use your bench more, but you're going to hopefully keep your starters more fresh, more fit over a longer period. Yeah, I think it's all about mindset changes now. So the currency becomes minutes, not starts. So we all want to start games. You know, all these people who play football, right? They all, they all want to start games. And when you do a warm-up for before a game, you have the first level on one side and you have the sub doing something else on the other side. And so the whole mindset around football is the starting level is what counts. And everyone wants to start games. And they judge their contracts based on starting games. It's now going to be minutes. This way, Eddie's really, really suddenly become valuable. He's a brilliant... If he starts... He can be really aggressive, energetic, and blow up and come off. If he comes off the bench, he suddenly he's a really good player coming to the bench. He's that type of player. We've all seen Pepe, for example. You know, if you come off the bench and we're trying to protect the lead, we you might as well bring me on. Do you know what I mean? And um, but if we're trying to get, if we're trying to score goals like we were against Wolves, then he's a different player, right? So, so there's there are certain people that suit this. So it's all about. You heard me say it before. It's all about the concept of starters and finishers. Right? That's what it's about now. So players have to change their mindsets when they come into a group. They're part of a group. I think the you know I think it allows us to keep people on board because they're going to play. They feel like they're going to play. If you're on the bench, someone gets an injury. You thinking, "Okay, that's one sub gone. There's only one left. Is am I going to get a chance? Got to keep one in the back pocket in case someone else gets an injury, and that, and that's it, right? So. Think about, this is what I like about what we're doing. Versatility gives you depth. You know, it allows you to keep people involved, gives you depth. This thing about Man City having two starts, position, they don't. But they have versatile players that play to the same principles of play, which allows them to rotate and move people around. Foden, a great example, inside, outside, both sides, done. Right? Bernardo Silva, deep. High on the on the right, high on the left, done. De Bruyne, well, mate, he goes wherever he likes, right? And then everyone else moves around. Greenish can play false nine and go left, right? Or play in the ten, right? So you got these group of players that allow you depth because of their versatility and flexibility, and that's just in the forward areas, right? So you know, I think we're heading towards that sort of model. And so I hear you say, oh, we can't do what Man City do; they're two for every position. Well, actually. I think it's Liverpool got the bigger squad. Liverpool have got far greater until they sold my name by the other day, but they've replaced yeah. them straight away. But you know what I'm saying? They've got they've got a number of forwards. They have a number of eights. They got one of those eights that can be a six, you know. And they've got they're developing fullback rotation options in Timikas. They bought a young kid. They got Joe Gomez there. They bought the kid from Aberdeen. His name passed me by right now. And um, they brought in Canati this year to make sure they got rotation at centre back. Joe Gomez is sitting there as the force in the back. Can also play right back. Their squad is deep, mate. It's deep. So it's having the versatility, having players with the same principles of play: sprinting to the ball, transitions, recovering it quickly, able to progress the ball. I think we lack a bit of deep ball progression. Able to progress the ball not just in a passing way, but in a carrying way and in the length of passing way. And so, and all of that is driven by where you want to go. And where do I want to go? I want to go towards the goal. If I need to see hope in those forward players, the ones in the exterior of the team in the forward areas, they need to be good, mate. They need to be good. And when they're good, trust me, you will be so happy because we will score goals that we've not even done anything for. You know, not even have not even have to develop. 
just someone did a bit of talent, a bit of a move, it's in the top corner, and we're jogging back to the halfway line. It's, we need to have more of that because we have to try so hard to score, so perfect, and relying on too many young men to carry this club. And we have done for about 18 months now, and it, and it needs to change, in my opinion. Yeah, there, there's two components to think about squad building, right? One is the process of how you do it and the stages in which you do it, but that can all get blown up by talent. What I mean is you could sign a player you absolutely don't even think you need, and he could wind up being one of the best players in the world, and it doesn't matter that you didn't need him because he takes you up a level. I don't know that you can count on that. The one thing I'll caution when you look at like a Liverpool uh, situation is, yeah, Liverpool are deep, but they didn't start that way. Their process, you know, they didn't go by Diaz and Jota Right, right away. They didn't go by um, um, their 80 million, uh, Nunez right away. They bought Robertson first. They bought Van Dyke first. They bought Allison first. They finished the build. Then they layered on top of it. And I, I just think we have to be cognizant of where we are in our stages now. The way the rumors look, maybe we get everyone. Maybe we get everyone. We, we have to leave it there for now. We are going to obviously do more on this, a lot on the tactics of five subs, how they can be used. We're going to cover the rumors as they break. Tomorrow, the Rafinha and Lissandro Martinez scouting video will be up in full. There's a great, great video, Clive, and I really dug into the debate over Rafinha Tielemans and how to make that decision over a priority. If you wanted, it's up on the Patreon, but the, the actual scouting video will be up tomorrow. So, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Zach Lowy, and you're going to get a really nice 20-minute deeper dive on Fabio Vieira. But uh, we got to say goodbye to Clive, who's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. And Paul, who's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Woo-hoo. Thanks, Pause. All right, back with Zach Lowy in a moment. Stay with us. Okay, you are getting Zach, but not before I tell you about our wonderful sponsors, and that's including AG1 from Athletic Greens. Um, this is one of my favorite things to talk about because it has made a pretty sizable difference in my routine in my life. I started taking AG1 because uh, a doctor friend of mine saw it sitting on the shelf, said I should take it, or sitting on the counter, said I should take it. Um, I was taking a lot of gummies. I was taking a lot of probiotics and stuff. Just a, a lot of junk that I was taking to try to achieve a benefit that I could get with AG1. And so, you know, like when you start anything, there's that little bit of cynicism, that little bit of skepticism. But it really has been incredibly important for me. And I've had a life change recently that requires me to shift my schedule around. Means I'm up earlier in the morning. Means I'm eating at different times. And gut health has been a challenge for me. AG1 has been just a really fantastic addition to my routine in terms of feeling better in my stomach, feeling better with my energy, focus, alertness. Um, I mean, it, it delivers 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. So, I, you know, I, I like that it's it's whole food sourced superfoods and things like that because there is a lot of this stuff that you buy, you eat it, and it just passes right through your body. You get no benefit, and it's just money literally traveling through your body. This is something where I feel a benefit. I should mention it is lifestyle-friendly. So, uh, keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, no problem. Less than a gram of sugar. So sleep and recovery, mental clarity and alertness, gut health, it's all there. Over 7,000 five-star reviews, less than the price of a fancy cup of coffee per day. Give it a try yourself. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash vision. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash vision vision to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now, if you want to insure your business, 
The best insurance for a strong business is great talent. Same is true of football club, same is true of your business, and the best way to get the right talent is with Indeed. Okay, I've been talking for a long time about Indeed being the one place where you can attract, interview, and hire, but I've always focused on Instant Match because it's a feature that I like. The moment you sponsor a job, 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match their job description or else you don't pay. Love that feature. But Indeed has asked me to talk about virtual interviews, and the more I dug into this, the more I think it makes a lot of sense because we are in a more hybrid work environment. Some of you may be having to go back to the office, but for a lot of people, the hybrid work environment also means that the interview process is becoming remote and virtual. And with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent seamlessly all in one place. Indeed makes it easy to connect with your applicants. No need to install anything extra. Indeed's virtual interviews works right from your browser. After using Indeed's virtual interviews, most employers said it saved them days of hiring time, according to Indeed data. And also, I mean, like it... it it ensures you against future business disruption so that you're not dependent on in-person interviewing, which I think is a great feature as well. Sign up for Indeed now and get a $75 credit towards your first sponsored job. Plus, earn up to $500 extra in sponsored job credits with Indeed's virtual interviews. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to learn more. Claim your credits at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Elliot, is that enough of that? Indeed. Okay, we're back, and now it's my great pleasure to introduce someone who is an expert on Portuguese football, among other things, I am sure. Uh, we are all uh, we all contain multitudes, obviously. But I- I'm so excited to have Zach on the pod because we have done our best to talk about the Fabio Vieira signing while knowing, let's just say it, relatively little. Now we can talk about the Fabio Vieira signing with someone who knows all there is to know, or at least as much as can be known. So it is my pleasure to introduce Zach Lowy. Zach can be found on Twitter in a couple of places, but I want you to look for him on BTL vid um, between, uh, sorry, breaking the lines. They put out a great, um, a great article about Fabio Vieira, which is uh, something that I shared, but you should definitely read if you haven't already. Zach, it's great to finally have you on the podcast. Great to be on. Really excited for uh, today's show. Yeah, so I, I mean, because we have limited time, I want to dive right into it. And and I think the first thing, because we've talked a little bit about Vieira, so we can talk about his strengths and weaknesses as a player in a moment. But I'd rather start just by asking you, I think there's a clear need for Arsenal to improve at the left eight, where Shaka was often asked to play that role this season, despite, I think it's fair to say, that not being his best position. If Arsenal failed to sign anybody else that could play in that position, in your view, is Fabio Vieira at a point in his development where with a little bit of time to get acclimated, he could come in and start 25, 30 games at the Premier League level at the left eight for Arsenal? Yeah, I think I think so. I think that it's definitely, uh, there's definitely a possibility there. Um, I'm not 100% sure, though, if, if Fabio is the right option. If Arsenal play a double pivot, um, I could certainly see him uh, performing well in another system, but with a four-two-three-one, um, you know, I, I think that would be more suited to Shaka and Partey. Yeah, but I agree. Uh, mm-hmm. but, I, but I, in terms of if, if if Arteta is considering, you know, going with a four-three-three, which I think there's definitely a possibility for that in the long term. Yeah, I, I could see Fabio fitting in as as you mentioned that left eight. I think that that is one of Arsenal's goals. Um, you know, Shaka has has been. Probably a successful signing, all things yeah. considered. But I think that uh, the club sort of realizes that it's time to move on from him. 
But yeah. I think we've been saying that for the past like three or four years and it's still not happened. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it's funny, right? Because we, I think we initially were in a period where we were sort of frustrated by what he didn't give us. Then we're in a period where we sort of had no choice but to rely on him. And I think I would like to believe that the goal now is to be in a position where we don't have to rely on him and whether he leaves or whether he just slips back into being more of an option rather than a must start kind of player. It seems like Arteta wants to play that 4-3-3, right? And he wants to give party the role at the base and have those two midfielders. And maybe they can play a little bit as a pivot. They can drop in if they have to. But ideally, he wants them, I think, ahead of a party in in between the lines to help with final third entry and, and more chance creation. Now, Vieira, a left footer who seems to like the right half space in sort of an Odegaard role. So just in terms of being able to play more predominantly on the left, would you see that being a, a difficult transition for him? Not necessarily. I mean, as you mentioned, he's a left-footed player. Yes, he likes to, he thrives in those right half spaces similar to Odegaard, but he's also played, um, he's played in a variety of positions, whether that's as a left-sided um, midfielder, kind of a wide playmaker role, mm-hmm. or whether that's as a second striker. He's incredibly versatile, and I do feel like his game is best suited to more of a central position. So, you know, maybe it's not going to be that uh, traditional 10 role that he's best suited at. But I think that he has that versati- uh, versatility and, and talent to shift to perhaps more of a deeper role. We've seen that as well, kind of dropping deeper and picking up the ball. Um, but but yeah, I think that he's he's a player who who ultimately thrives with sort of that free reign. Mm. Okay. And I mean, I, I guess it could be the case that what Arteta ultimately sees is just a cluster of very technical, uh, versatile forwards between Odegaard and Vieira, Saka and Martinelli and Smith Rowe and Gabriel Jesus. And none of them have to be a fixed point in the system, whereas they can be more uh, capable of sliding around across the formation. It, in terms of spelling Saka, he's someone who, Played a lot of minutes. We do need to be careful, I think, about Hector Bellerin and the minutes that were put into his legs at a young age, and we sort of saw how that impacted him. We've had other experiences like that. I'm not suggesting that's where Sack is headed, but certainly I don't think we want to be in a position where he's playing every Europa League group stage game and every um, Carabao Cup game and so on. I think we may be in for Rafinha, depending on when you're listening to this and what the news is that's breaking, along with Gabriel Jesus. That may point to a direction of how we want to mix up those minutes. But if that weren't to happen, could you see Vieira playing that one step further ahead, more as a true forward and less as a a playmaker or or progressor? I think there is definitely a possibility there. Um, Fabio has played a lot as kind of a second striker. Almost in in many games, even uh, benched Meditaremi, who was Porto's best player in 2020-21. So kind of taking up that Taremi role of like a half nine, half ten, and linking up with a player like Evan Nielsen, who is different from Gabriel Jesus, but, but, you know, both two young Brazilian strikers who aren't necessarily like a, uh, a target man. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think there's potentially some similarities there, and and yeah, I think that it, it's it's really interesting to see where it's going to be interesting to see where Arteta uses Vieira because, like I said, he's capable of shining and making an impact in various positions. 
Um, so, so yeah, but you know, in terms of playing further forward, yeah, I think that that that's possibly a, a position where you'd get the most out of him. Perhaps in in many ways, I think the opposite of Lucas Torreira, whereas mm. Lucas playing further forward limited him. I think that Fabio playing further forward would um, only help him. Well, let's talk now about Fabio playing a little further back because this really interests me. Uh, Clive and I did a scouting video of him, which means, you know, we've now watched a tiny fraction of what you've seen him do. But as I started to get a sense of the player, like it's clear he's got every pass, right? The passing range looks very good. Um, Whether it's a little dagger through ball or it's a big switch, you know, a longer ball over the top, he seems to have it. I see him, you know, being willing to get his shot off. I think he was over three shots per 90 this season, so that's great. Obviously, the output's there, goals and assists. But it's so common that when when you're linked to a player and a new player signed, everybody wants to talk about their strengths, and nobody seems to want to talk about their weaknesses. And I think that's unfortunate because, in a way, it's not fair to the player. It sets them up to fail, right? Because all you're talking about is all the things are going to do great. And then you fail to say, hey, here are some of the things that they're going to probably need to add to their game and then when those things come out, people are really disappointed because that hadn't been discussed. So I want to make sure that we discuss that a little bit. And the thing that jumped out to me watching him, especially when he was deeper, you know, further back towards the halfway line, he does get bossed off the ball a bit. He does like to go down and ask for the foul. He did seem to, you know, he's got a great touch. He can receive on the half turn. That that's It's not a technical issue, but to me it seemed like he didn't want to ride a challenge. And given that there's so little space and time, especially in midfields in the Premier League, I wonder if you think he'll need, and I know it's so cliche, oh, he needs to be power and pace, and but like he can't burst away. He doesn't seem to have the power. Do you think that if he has to play a little deeper, he might struggle in terms of getting bossed off the ball or or you know going down a little too easily and not getting the calls maybe he was getting in Portugal? Look, I mean, that is definitely an area of concern, but at the same time, there have been a lot of uh, players from Portugal who are coming with a slight frame, whether that's Bernardo Silva, obviously he came from Monaco, but a uh, Portuguese player, Bruno Fernandes, uh, even Luis Diaz, you know, players who are fairly smaller. But uh, with that being said, uh, the Primera Liga is a physical league, and you're used right. to that. Um, but yeah, Fabio, as you mentioned, he's I think he's 22 just turned 22 mm-hmm. he probably isn't getting any taller and he i think he's <laughs> around like five seven so yeah definitely not that tall but i definitely think that some time in the gym would would serve him well um you know and, and just work on that physicality right not just in terms of upper body of course but also in the uh torso area and yeah. and working on that um so so yeah absolutely you, you're you don't want to ask him to change his game but uh, the Premier League is, is, I would say, a higher level as well in terms of physicality. But that being said, he's used to that. He's definitely used to that aspect. Um, so, so, yeah, that's going to be something that he's, he's definitely going to need to improve on. Yeah, and I mean, look, it, it's because, to your point, not wanting to change his game, he's a risk taker, right? He wants to play the ball in behind. He wants to play players in. Obviously, the deeper you get in midfield, the more a giveaway can hurt you, um, especially with the system we play where we're not playing with as much of a net right now behind us as we may have when Arteta first came in. So I just think about ball security in midfield. And and to me, he looked so exciting in the final third, in the edge of the final third. And maybe, just maybe, there might have been a little more of a concern if he was playing deeper. I mean, do you see him 
as someone who can drop into a double pivot if that role was asked him because it didn't it didn't immediately jump out to me as a as a a clean fit. Yeah, I think that Fabio. There's a danger here. I think of inflating him and Vitinha. I think a lot of people they they ask me like who I think is the better player, and for me it's it's just hard because they're different players, and I think yeah. that Fabio is a lot more suited than Vitinha is playing in an, an attack-minded position, whereas Vitinha is that deep-lying playmaker who, honestly, I thought that Arsenal would consider uh, looking for because they seemed to me like they were more interested in uh, kind of a deep-lying player. Um, so I, I think that it would definitely have to be a learning process. I don't think it would be smooth. I do see some potential there because Fabio is, is I think, is capable of... Yes, he's capable of playing with his back to goal, but he's also capable of, of picking the ball up deep um, and and I think keeping the ball amid pressure and linking up mm. players. And those are aspects that bode well for a deep-lying player. But with that being said, uh, his bread and butter is definitely playing further forward, whether that's off the flank or as a, um, you know, a central attacking midfielder or as a second striker, which, as I mentioned, we've seen a lot of him playing in almost the Taremi role. Um, so yeah, it would definitely be a learning process for him. Yeah. And I, to be fair, I don't think that would be the role that would be anticipated for him. At least that's my guess. I mean, we have a single point of failure from a, a creativity standpoint of Odegaard right now. So he seems like a natural option to spell Odegaard, which is something we don't have in the side and an option to go to left eight and an option to potentially play wide right forward. If, if he was pressed into service, maybe in like a Europa league group game or, or Carabao cup. So one of the things that obviously seems to be happening at Arsenal is this cultural revolution, right? Like Mikel Arteta <clears throat> seems pretty clearly focused on character, on expectations in training. Um, I have been fairly vocal at times at saying that I'm not a huge uh, culture guy in terms of the value there, but I want to be clear. I think culture is great. I just don't think it can replace talent, right? If you don't have t- enough talent, culture won't bridge the gap. But if you have talent that buys into culture, then you have something that wins. Sao strikes me as sort of a Simeone-type guy, maybe an Arteta-type guy in terms of that focus on culture just from reading a little about him, having very little exposure to him. So that's extremely superficial. But I am curious if you think that Sao is someone that maybe an Arteta and Arsenal looked at as being a good predictor of the kind of character and culture that would that would fit in well with what Arteta is going to ask of him. Do you see there being a, a parallel there? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if there's parallels between Concepcion and Arteta tactically, but I think that he's definitely, as you mentioned, very similar to Diego Simeone. He's a player who mm-hmm. wants warriors. He wants players who are going <laughs> to fight for the badge, who are going to go to war for him. And yeah, absolutely. I, I've said before that um, I th- I think you know Fabio Vieira would not have played such an important role um, for Porto this season in their domestic double if he wasn't willing to sacrifice and commit himself to improving. Um, Conceição has never made exceptions for talented players. He's worked with a lot of talented players, but he has never. he's always been unequivocal that if you want to play for my team, you're going to need to work hard off the ball. Um, and, and, you know, nobody is going to uh, have to compensate for you. So, you know, uh, Porto, they, they work together as a team. Right, that's what made made this team, I think, so good, and I think that's that's also it's it allowed them to 
absorb the blow from uh, Luis Diaz's midseason departure and really not miss a beat in the domestic competition um, because they were just so ingrained as a unit. And I think Fabio definitely played his role in that. Mm. I got a curiosity, I mean, <clears throat> from the reporting, he sort of really was excited about the project and joining Arsenal that there was interest from other clubs, but Arsenal was where he wanted to be. Do you get the sense that Arsenal has a pretty good reputation and pull within the Portuguese league and Portugal Portuguese players in general? Because one of the concerns you always have, right? You get a young up and coming guy out of the Portuguese league. He comes to Arsenal, he makes a name and two seasons later, he's saying, I want to go to Madrid or, you know, I want to go to Barca. Um, we haven't been burned like that recently because we haven't had the players of that quality, but we're hoping to change that. I mean, do, do you sense that there's, there's a good reputation that Arsenal has a good reputation in, in among players in that circle? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think I would say that Arsenal have the same reputation that Real Madrid has, but with that being said, yes, they're, they're a big club. And I think that, I, I think that uh, pretty much any, any player who's playing in Portugal would welcome a move to Arsenal. I said, like a few weeks ago when I was when I was on an Arsenal channel talking about Darwin Nunez, I don't think that Darwin would uh, reject a move to Arsenal due to a lack of Champions League football because the fact is uh, Arsenal is still a step up from Porto, Benfica, or Sporting financially as well as I think the, the glamour and the size of the club. Um, so so and and as you mentioned, uh, the project means a lot, you know. I think that's one thing that players players look for. And I think that we're seeing a lot of that in, in Mikel Arteta's arsenal, kind of prioritizing these young players with ample room to improve. Um, and, and I think that Fabio is definitely, he definitely has what it takes to become an important part of that team. Mm. If you had to sort of project out a year from now, we're having a conversation this time next year, and we're recapping the season he had, what do you think is a reasonable, you know, a, a fair, reasonable expectation of what we might be saying he achieved, you know, in terms of his starts? Not, not necessarily how many goals and assists did he had, but should we be expecting him to you know, get himself acclimated and then really break into the starting lineup at Arsenal? Is he ready for that level? I think he's definitely ready to compete. Like I said, I have I'm I'm I have some concerns on how him and Martin Odegaard would coexist in the same team, but it's, okay. it's definitely not impossible. And yeah, Arsenal, they, they are back in Europe, even if it's just the Europa League. So I think that he's going to get ample minutes. He's, he's, uh, he's a player who I think is ready to, to play games. Uh, I, don't, I definitely don't think he's raw because he has the technical attributes. He has the mental attributes. Okay, yes, he still needs some work on the physical attributes and, of course, just getting acclimatized through the Premier League, but I think that a lot of players, whether that's Ruben Diaz, uh, Luis Diaz, Bruno Fernandes, you know, they've shown that it's not the 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 gap between the Primera and the Premier League preps isn't as big as some people make it out, and a lot of players can seamlessly adapt. So, so yeah, I think that look, this is a player who is still a work in progress, but he has a lot of unique uh, abilities that I think would make him. Uh, not just a, a valuable player off the bench, and as we've seen at Porto, he doesn't need uh, to play 90 minutes to make an impact. But he also, you know, is a player who I think will raise the collective level of the team. Mm. And he's going to be a player who, whether coming off the bench or whether starting a game, uh, I think is going to showcase his quality, his vision, yeah, his, his creativity. 
I think he's definitely ready to make an impact for Arsenal. I know we got to let you go, so let me just finish with this in a one-sentence answer. How excited should Arsenal fans be about this player? Very excited. This guy is has been on my radar for about three or four years now. He's made an impact for Portugal in the youth level. He's made an impact for Porto in the youth and senior level. And honestly, if he keeps up his progress, I think he'll be playing for Portugal's senior team soon. Maybe, hopefully not this World Cup. We, we, we don't want all our players going off there. If we can keep some fit, that'd be great. Look, I, I know this was short, and I could talk to you another 40 minutes about this, but I, I hope you'll come back and join us again in the future. Absolutely. It would be a pleasure. All right, that's Zach Lowe. You can find him at BTLVid. Yes? Yep. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We're going to have uh, more coming up in the very near future. Um, I think it's going to mostly be transfers for the time being because that that does seem to be what's going on. But we are going to be doing the scouting videos. Uh, those continue to roll on and hopefully don't continue to be a jinx. And you know what? As news breaks, we'll find more content to come out. So that'll do it. I uh, hope you enjoyed this one and uh, look for more of our jinxy transfer uh, content coming out in the future. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10 transfer window nil. 